The following is a sermon that was preached at Faith Lutheran Church in Sharpsburg, Georgia. For more information about our church or to hear past sermons from Faith Lutheran, visit georgiafaith.com. Thank you for listening. Ken Burns, he's arguably the world's greatest documentary filmmaker. Maybe you've seen some of his, like The Civil War, or Baseball, or The Brooklyn Bridge. Well, tonight, Ken Burns airs his brand new film on PBS. It's called Ali. It, of course, documents the life of the most, one of the most famous men of the 20th century, heavyweight boxing champion Muhammad Ali. And that was a man who had no shortage of confidence. I mean, one of his famous statements was just simply, I am the greatest. And you know what? He may well be the greatest boxer who ever lived. Though that statement really stemmed less from his boxing and more from the attitude that he was quick to profess, that he didn't see any point in being humble, because humble people don't get anywhere. Sports is an area where arguments about who's the greatest of all time, they flourish. But let's be honest. The quest to try to decide who's greatest isn't, isn't restricted to that realm. But that's a battle that's waged in every heart, every home, every friend group, every workplace. And really, it comes down to the fundamental way in which we view ourselves. Because that's what at its root, what at its root lies the fundamental way that I see myself compared to the people around me. The fundamental way that you view yourself and what you deserve compared to the people around you. So, do you deserve to be listened to more and respected more at work than the people around you? Do you deserve more sacrifice from your spouse than they should expect from you? Do you deserve to be able to try to make yourself happy even if it wounds others? Do you get more? The world tells you, absolutely. Yep, you're worth it, you deserve it, you take it. And if you aren't the greatest, well, then at least you're greater relatively than a lot of the people around you, so take it. Here's the thing, though. Greatness like that is short-lived. It only lasts as long as the next boxing match. It only lasts as long as the dopamine hit until it begins to fade. It only lasts until the thrill ride ends. Now, here's the thing, though. The path to real greatness doesn't lie where the world tells you it does, and the rewards of true greatness are not what the world promises you. Today, Jesus invites you to participate in his upside-down kingdom where where true greatness is found in the least likely of places. Let's remember where we are in context here. Jesus and his disciples had finished their ministry in Galilee, up north in Israel, and they were heading south to Jerusalem. Jesus set his face and journeyed toward Jerusalem and to his ultimate purpose. He was on the way to the cross. But what happened today also happened immediately after the account of the transfiguration, which is a really key point of context for what we're going to learn about today. Um, 
remember transfiguration. Jesus wanted to make sure that the church and that his disciples knew exactly who it was that was going to go to the cross in Jerusalem. He wanted to show them how much glory was hiding behind the flesh and blood of Jesus of Nazareth. So he pulled aside three of his disciples, just three. And he took Peter and James and John. He goes to the top of a mountain. And there he set aside his humility and he shined with all the power and glory of the Son of God in heaven. And with these three disciples looking on, suddenly God the Father appears in the cloud and God the Father speaks and they hear him and he says, this is my Son whom I love. Listen to him. (laughs) Talk about an experience. I mean, Peter, James, and John got to see things unseen since the days of Moses. They got to see things no one had ever seen before. The glory of the Son of God, the voice of God the Father. They must have just about been bursting. And then it's over and Jesus says, don't tell anyone. Don't tell anyone until the Son of Man rises from the dead. (laughs) Can you imagine trying to sit on that? Like, can you imagine not telling people what you'd seen? I mean, when we have big experiences, what, we rush to tell the people that matter to us because, so they can rejoice with us, right? We also want to tell lots of other people who don't matter as much to us so they know that we have something they didn't, right? That they could know that in this little way, I'm greater than you are. I mean, think about it. If this had happened today in the modern era, what would that have been like? I'm pretty certain before they walked down the mountain, Peter would have texted his mom about it. And his mom would have filled up social media with the humble brag, right? Oh, my son's job keeps him so busy this morning. He was full of time just seeing Jesus in his glory and talking to God the Father. Hashtag work-life balance. (laughs) It had been all over. And she would have wanted everyone to know that her son spent the morning on the mountaintop with Jesus. Not your son. Right? Think about it. They couldn't tell anyone. So do you think, what was going on when you heard this? They came to Capernaum. When he was in the house, Jesus asked them, what were you arguing about on the road today? But they kept quiet because on the way, they had argued about who was the greatest. How do you think that argument went? I bet you I know why it started. Maybe because three of them were singled out, went up on a mountain, come back, basically glowing, and everybody goes, what happened? They said, can't talk about it. No, just between us and Jesus. I bet that's how it started. And now, if Peter, James, and John were honest, do you think maybe they did consider themselves further up the pecking order than the other nine disciples? I mean, they had been singled out by Jesus, after all. They had witnessed Jesus' glory. They had heard the voice of God the Father. Do you think in that argument they uh, went against Jesus' will and told the other disciples? Or did they just imply it? Because in their heart of hearts, they already knew that they were greater than the other nine. So what do you think? Were they greater? Uh, Here's a really important truth. Uh, There's a big difference between gifted and greatness. Gifted means 
but you've been given something, right? And these three disciples were definitely given something that the others hadn't been given. They were given the, the, the view of Jesus' glory. They were given the testimony of God the Father. But the point, the point of that gift was not to make them great. God never gives us gifts to make us great relative to others. He gifts us so that we can serve others greatly. That's probably worth repeating. God never gifts us for greatness relative to other people, but he gifts us to serve others greatly. That's what had happened to these three disciples. They were gifted to serve greatly. These three men were going to have special roles for the church. They were gifted to serve. The Apostle Peter was going to be the leader of the Church of Jerusalem. The Apostle James was going to be the first apostle who would have to witness by giving his life for Christ and witnessing with his own blood. The Apostle John would be the longest-lived apostle, and he would lead the church for decades. They were gifted not for greatness, but they were gifted to serve others greatly. Okay, how does this then apply to the relationships you and I find ourselves in, whether we're talking about in our home, in our friends, at school, at work? Because you see, Jesus wants this message today to sink home and make a difference in our hearts and lives, in the relationships in which we find ourselves. The most intimate relationship probably is your marriage, and I guess if we looked at that, we could say very accurately that uh, it might be true that you are more than your spouse in some aspects. Maybe you might be more beautiful. You might be healthier. You might be more patient. You might be more forgiving. You might be more understanding. But the point of your marriage is not to look and see the ways that you are greater than your spouse and they are less than you. No, you haven't been gifted to be greater relative to others. You've been gifted to serve greatly. It might be true that you are more patient than your spouse, but maybe God made you that way because he knew that's exactly what your spouse would need. Maybe it's true that you are more understanding or healthy than your spouse. Okay, maybe God made you that way because he knew exactly what your spouse would need from you. You're not greater. You're gifted to serve greatly. And that is true whether you're talking about your wife or your brother or your friends or your coworkers. God says the way we should view our relationships is not relative greatness. But if God has gifted me greater than someone else, well, then God gifts me to serve greatly. Now, if you're balking a little bit at this, if you're going, well, there are some people that maybe don't deserve what he's talking about as much as others. You might think right now I've moved from preaching to meddling in your life a little bit, and that's okay. Um, the disciples on their argument and then in the house, they can teach us something, right? When Jesus asked them about it, they were, they were quiet because they knew they were wrong. They just didn't know how wrong they were, right? right. What, remember what started this reading? 
the Son of God who has all the glory of heaven, he told his disciples, the Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of men. They will kill him, and after three days he will rise. So the greatest man of all time had just told them that he would serve them to a death he didn't deserve to give them a heaven they could never earn. Humility is easy when you're with someone who's far greater than you than what you're talking about. Right, that's easy to be humble then. Like uh, recently I got together with some of my friends and some of those guys are, are runners. Some of them even ran like triathlons. Uh, but one of the friends who was there at this group, he had just the previous day finished an Ironman triathlon, which uh, I came to learn is 11-some hours of swimming, running, and biking. Uh, it's really easy to be humble about your running experience when you're with someone so demonstrably greater than you. That's one kind of humility. It's easy to be humble when someone's way better than you. It's a lot harder when they're not. It's a lot harder to be humble when they're not smarter than you or stronger than you or faster than you or better than you. Just ask Muhammad Ali. But there's two kinds of humility in this world. One is the humility that comes from recognizing someone's way better than me at something. That's kind of cheap humility. There's another kind of humility, though. There is a humility that is a decision you make, an action you take, an attitude that you adopt and practice regardless of the relative greatness between you and the person you're called to love. And that's a humility that takes no regard for greatness, but only sees giftedness as an opportunity to serve greatly. And unsurprisingly, that's the humility that Jesus calls on for us to have in his kingdom. So Jesus demonstrated it by taking a little child, putting him in the middle of the disciples, and he said, um, serve this child, and you'll be great in my Father's eyes. Now, for us in America, that we, what we're missing is the cultural shock that the disciples would have experienced there. Because in America, well, we're kind of all about kids. You know, kids go on the top of everybody's totem poles. Uh, kids are super important. Kids are, in America, are to be seen, heard, and promptly obeyed, that sort of thing. Um, that was not the case in the ancient Near East. Um, people did not revolve their weekly schedule around uh, little Malachi's uh, karate schedules or whatever else, because you know what? Most of those kids, they just didn't live. The mortality rate in first century Palestine for infants was 30%. So one-third of the babies died. The mortality rate for children by the age of six was another 30%. So little kids died. Um, the mortality rate for children up to age 16 was 60. The young people died too. They mostly died. Tough to get attached. Not only that, if they lived, while they were minors, they had no cultural status at all. In fact, if you were a minor child, you had the same cultural status as a slave. Children were very unimportant in that regard in first century Palestinian life. So think about what Jesus is doing here. He's not taking the 12 disciples and pointing at, I don't know, one of the 12, like the dumbest, the ugliest, the poorest one, say, well, like for example, serve him. He might have something he could offer you back even if he's the, the worst of the 12. No, Jesus takes someone 
culturally insignificant, someone who could pay you back in no way, shape, or form at all. And he says, this here, this is the path to greatness, serving with no thought of yourself at all. You see, in Jesus' kingdom, the secret to a great life isn't found in yourself or how the world interacts with you. I mean, if that's where you go for your dopamine hit uh, or, your, or your validation or your pleasure, what you're doing is you're sentencing yourself to disappointment and a, a shallow, tawdry, counterfeit form of the life that Jesus really intends for you. So maybe, maybe we should stop listening to the lies that we tell ourselves. Maybe we should stop listening to the people of this world who offer nothing but vapid opinion, and maybe we should listen to the one man who loves you more than anything else in the whole universe. Because he says the way to fulfill, not in validation of our conceited thoughts of ourselves, but in offering real and heartfelt service to the people he's called on us to love. What would your life be like this week if we served the people around us like that? Tim Keller is a pastor in uh, New York City. He's on Twitter a lot. He tweeted last week, kind of an interesting thought, not last week. I read it last week. I don't know when it's from. Um, Tim Keller tweeted something that applies to this, that he's going to talk about in the context of marriage, but whatever relationships you find yourself in, I believe this is applicable, whether you're talking about friends or workplace, whatever else, but he says it about marriage. This is what he said. He said, if each spouse says to the other, I will treat my selfishness as the main problem in the marriage, you have the prospect for great things. Think about that. What would happen this week if in our relationships, instead of joining Ali and saying, I am the greatest, I approached it all as I am the problem? If I adopted the attitude that it's my selfishness that's the main problem in this relationship? Because, I mean, let's be honest. I mean, if you're talking about your spouse, you, you know what your partner wants and what your partner needs. You do. The reason you don't do it is because we're lazy. It's because we're selfish. It's because if we're honest, we think we deserve more out of this than they. And Jesus says, repent. Repent of that. Because, you know, you, want, you might even be right. They might be less than you. They might not even deserve to be treated that way. They might not deserve it. But Jesus says, neither did you. And still, the high prince of the heavenly kingdom got down on his knees and washed sinners' feet and climbed a cross that should have been meant for me and for you, to offer you a forgiveness without limit and a grace without merit. Here's the path to true fulfillment and true greatness and life in the Savior's kingdom. Adopt a humility that has nothing to do at all with relative greatness. Instead, look at what God's given you as a gift that's meant to help you serve greatly those whom God has called on you to love. I mean, what he's doing is he's given us this beautiful invitation that says we don't have to, we don't have to keep muscling our way to the front of every line of selfishness, of vanity, and ultimately of emptiness. Instead, 
Instead, he invites you to find greatness in the purposes of God. God grant that in our lives. Amen.